This morning we are in John 13 verses 1 through 20 and as the pastor of Asante Church, I am so excited to preach on this scripture this morning. There are some scriptures every now and then I know I'm going to step on some toes. And this morning, I don't have to worry about stepping on some toes. Usually I don't worry about it anyways. That's the Holy Spirit's job, not mine. So if your, your toes are stepped on, maybe wear some steel toe boots. This morning, I get to encourage my church. I get to encourage our church. Because as we dive into what it means to be fit to be sent, what it means to be a humble servant, I really do believe that is a primary part of our culture here at Asante Church. And so, church family, before we go into this, know that I am excited because I get to encourage you, but know that I love you. And I love the church that we are. I love the church that we are becoming. There are so many churches that you will walk into and people don't pay attention to you. There's so many churches where you can slip in and you can slip out and you never become a part of a community. There's so many churches where you're never challenged to serve or you never are given an opportunity to serve. And I want you to know that this is a church that doesn't just let people slip in and out. This isn't a church that just consumes and doesn't serve. This is a church that follows Jesus's command and example. And I'm so proud of the church that God has put put together and built right here in Asante, Desert Oasis, Escalante, North Copper Canyon, wherever you're from. If it's on the other side of 303, we try to stay away from that part of town. It's kind of rough over there, okay? <laughs> Lots of golf carts for a little bit, and then it's just grocery stores, okay? <laughs> we all have to go there every now and then, but less now that gas prices are so high. So John 13, 1 through 2 is where we will start this morning. John 13, 1 through 2, go ahead and turn your phone on, open your Bible app, and get there if you're on this side. Go ahead and open your Bible, and we'll read it together if you're on this side. It's going to be great. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, dot, 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 to be continued. Our first point this morning is that Jesus loved his own. Jesus loved his own. It is right there in the very first verse of John 13. Jesus loved his own. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is the verse that is the hinge point in Jesus's ministry on earth. This is saying, the last three years I was with you, my disciples, and I loved you, and I served you so well. I taught, and then I gave illustrations that were followed up by miracles to make my point. I have loved you. I have served you. And now I'm going to serve you until the end. Jesus, where Jesus is at in his life and in his ministry is tomorrow. He is going to take the cross today. He is with his disciples, and he is saying, I have loved you. You are my own, you who were in the world, and now I will love you to the end. Jesus loved his own, knowing what was ahead of him, knowing that the cross is what he was about to take. Jesus continued to love them in his death. Jesus continued to love him in his resurrection. Jesus would continue to love them 
40 days after being resurrected from the dead, Jesus would continue to love him with the power of the Holy Spirit that when they come into right relationship with him, the Holy Spirit would indwell within them and he would continue to love them when he would ascend into heaven with his omnipresence, which is just a real fancy way of saying he is everywhere at all times with all people, no matter what the circumstance. In every need, Jesus was there for his disciples. He was there for the ones he loved, not just in life, but in death. And as he sits at the right hand of the Father, he is here for us. Jesus deeply loves his people. That doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love the people that aren't his people. That's like me saying, hey, I love my wife. And clearly, I love my wife more than anybody in this room. If that hurts your feelings, it's called priorities, okay? I love my wife. And if you are married, you should love your wife more than anybody else. Or if you have a husband, love your husband more than anybody else. Now, I have a really good friend. He's one of my best friends in the entire world. He's the associate pastor here. His name is Jacob. I do not love Jacob even a fraction of how much I love my wife. It's just he's really annoying this week. He said no to a lot of great ideas I had. But we're working through it a lot like a married couple. Jesus loves all, but he loves his own in a special way. I love my wife. I love my girls in a special way. That doesn't mean I don't love you. It is just different. But what I want you to know this morning is that Jesus deeply loves you. Let's not read the Bible as a book of exceptions. Let's not look at the disciples and say, well, Jesus loved them, but there's no way Jesus could ever love me. There's no way Jesus, knowing what I've done in my life, could ever love me the way that he loved his disciples. Let me tell you who Jesus was talking to here. In this encounter with Jesus, we have a betrayer. A betrayer that never fully gave his heart. We'll get to that in a little bit. We also have a denier. And that denier, who denied Jesus three times on the night of his death, he loved Jesus with all of his heart. And the church was built upon him. That is Peter. He has always loved you. And he will always love you. As long as you have existed in his mind, he has loved you. He will always love you no matter what you do. And he cannot wait to spend an eternity with you can't wait so much that he gave his life to make that possible. And there is nothing that you will ever do, there is nothing that you have ever done that will take his love away from you. So know that. Know that Jesus doesn't just love his disciples. He gave his life for the world, for those that are his followers, those that accept him for the forgiveness of their sin, those that walk in relationship with him, those that love, serve, and follow Jesus. You've got a special place in his heart. And he served you with his life. And even in his death, burial, and resurrection, he is still with you, still loves you to this day. So, do you know that? Do you know that Jesus loves you? When you hear that Jesus loves you, what does that do inside of your heart? Does that stir some kind of feeling, some kind of emotion? Is that some kind of pillar, some kind of foundation that you have built your life around? Do you operate out of the identity that Jesus loves me? Or do you operate out of the identity that I need to be loved? I need to earn 
Jesus' love, there is nothing that you could ever do to earn Jesus' love. There is nothing that we have that we could offer Jesus. He earned our righteousness for us. We accept his love. We operate in his love. We base our identity on the fact that he loves us, on the fact that we are beloved sons and daughters of the king and nothing else. We don't have to wonder about, are we good enough? Will someone love me? I want you to say, morally, no, you're not good enough. Morally, you're a lot better off than me. Certainly not good enough. But he earned our being good enough. So we operate out of that. Will someone love me? Yes, someone loved me so much that they gave their life for me. And their love is unconditional. Their love changes who we are. And it is not something that we live to gain because we have already earned it if we are in relationship. We have already received it, I should say, if we are in relationship with Jesus. But it is something that we live by. All that, that's just verse number one. You guys ready to have dinner here tonight? I'll order pizza. Verse 2, Jesus knew that Judas would betray. Still, he loved Judas. Knowing so, he still moved forward in love. John 13, 3 through 5, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. To continue on with this thought, we are going to skip down to verse 12. Don't worry, I'm not trying to take verses out of the Bible. We'll get back to it, and we'll go on to that point later. John 13, 12 through 20, we continue on this same train of thought. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly. Anytime Jesus says truly, truly, that means we need to listen, okay? He's making a point. He's not talking about hard seltzer water here, okay? He is talking about you need to listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread and lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Our second point this morning is that Jesus loved by humble service. Jesus loved by humble 
service. Jesus knew his time was up. We see that all the way back in verse 3. Jesus knew our time together is almost done, fellas. It's been a good three years, but the whole purpose, the whole reason that I came to this earth is about to be fulfilled tomorrow. Jesus knew. A friend of mine, Steve Besner, tweeted this out, and I saw a few of you repost it on Facebook or whatever social media that you're on, but he asked this question, what would you do if you knew it was your last day on earth? Would you go crazy? Would you indulge the flesh in every way you've always wanted to? Would you run up credit card debt? Would you eat all the junk food you ever wanted to? Would you go and do the things you've always wanted to do? What is it that you would do if you knew it was your last day on earth? Jesus knew. What did Jesus do? He washed feet. Knowing it was his last day on earth. Jesus washed feet. He lowered himself. The God-man, the one all things were created through, the one all things were created for, he made himself equal to the lowliest of servants, and he washed the nasty, dirty feet of the ones that he loved. Not only did he wash the feet of the ones he loved, he went the extra mile. It says that he removed his outer garment. That means that he took off his outer garment and he exposes himself even more. Disciples, this is who I am. Disciples, I am not holding myself back from you. Disciples, I love you and I love you so much that I'm going to lower myself to the lowest place in society, to the lowest place in our culture right now, and I am going to wash your stinky, nasty feet. We live in Arizona. We know how nasty feet can get. (laughs) Think about somebody that just wears sandals all the time. Super biblical. Super gross, okay? You can literally, at least in our house, you can mop the floors twice not put shoes on, not put socks on, walk across the floor from the back of the house to the front of the house and look at the bottom of your feet and how, I don't know how it happens, but they are already brown again. That's just the lives that we live here in Arizona. And this is with modern day technology. They're not getting the Bissell out and vacuuming and mopping at the same time in these houses on these roads. They are not all paved the way that we are accustomed to. These are dirty, stinky, nasty, sandal-ridden feet. And Jesus gets down. He exposes himself even more, and he washes them. Jesus is teacher, and he is master. And still, he served. He is the Lord. He is the Most High. He is the Son of God. Surely these men should have been serving him, but instead he lowers himself the lowest he can go to bring them up so that he could love and serve them humbly. Do as I've done. As I've done to you, do unto others. Verse 14, we love and serve as our master loves and serve, even as things get messy. So let me ask you the question this morning. Are you a servant? Are you humbling yourself low? beneath everyone around you. I don't care if they're below your status at work. I don't care 
if you're tired. I don't care how hungry you are. I don't care how busy you are. Are you lowering yourself beneath those around you to bring them up? Or we have two options here. We can be like Peter, we can be like the rest of the disciples, or we can be like Judas, who was about to turn Jesus in for 30 pieces of silver. We can be a servant this morning, or we can be an exploiter. Judas, turning Jesus in. Judas, using Jesus to raise himself up above the other disciples, to raise himself up above even Jesus, to turn him in. And now, yes, this was supposed to happen. And Jesus uses this to prove his divinity. But Judas using Jesus to elevate his status in life. Is that what Jesus is to you? Are you here at church this morning to exploit Jesus? To exploit his church? To make much of Jesus when it comes to the public eye for everyone else? To find yourself in a community of people that would love and serve, but you never actually love and serve back is your purpose of being here this morning to take and take and take and consume and consume and consume? Or are you lowering yourself as a servant to humbly serve and lift others up? Are you only using Jesus for your benefit? Because I think if you really love Jesus, I think if you really follow Jesus, I think if you really spend time in his word, you will see over and over and over again that When we love Jesus, when we love God, we love other people. And we love other people by humbly serving, as Jesus points out within this scripture. So if we love Jesus, if we want to benefit from our lives, our relationships, our walks with Jesus, it is not going to be by making it all about us. That is being a fan of Jesus. I think there are a lot of fans of Jesus in the church. But when you are truly a follower of Jesus, you lower yourself just as he did. You follow the teacher, you follow the master, and you make much of everyone that is around you. You love and you serve them. So are you a servant or are you an exploiter? Jesus is trying to figure out here who is fit, who is fit to be sent. He's about to die on the cross tomorrow, and he is about to send his disciples out to take the gospel, to take the good news of his death on the cross for forgiveness of sin, for his life, his burial, his resurrection, his victory over sin, over death, and over the enemy into the world so that they can have true life, so that they can be forgiven, so that they can have hope, transformation, and restoration. And he is qualifying them in this moment. He's saying, if you want to be sent by me, if I'm going to send you out into the world, you need to be a humble servant. You need to make yourself low so that you can lift others high. This doesn't mean that you exploit or manipulate other people for your gain. You love them and you meet their needs for the gain of Jesus and the kingdom alone. We see that Judas was not fit. Judas was an exploiter. He was not a servant. But yet still, Jesus chooses Judas. And again, in doing so, proves his divinity. And then, when we look at it a little bit closer with a magnifying glass, we see that it's not just those that humbly serve, but it's those who serve joyfully. Only the blessed are fit. When we look at verse 17 there, It says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That word blessed can be translated to also mean satisfied are you. Gratified 
are you? Joyful are you if you serve other people? So only those that gladly serve Jesus are fit to be sent. Those that begrudgingly serve are not fit to be sent. Well, now I'm thinking about my life. Now I'm thinking about my marriage. Now I'm thinking about my life as a father. Am I joyfully serving in my household? What happens when Rachel has a crazy busy week, when she's not able to get around to all the things that she normally takes care of for our family? And she asks, hey, can you do this? What do we always respond, men? Absolutely, darling, I would love to do that. (laughs) No, we don't. We throw a hissy fit like we're four years old all over again. Yeah, I guess I'll do that. I mean, it's not like I haven't had a busy week too. You kidding me right now? It's the love of your life. You're talking to her like you're a child and she is your mother who just asks you to take the trash out. We serve joyfully. We don't serve begrudgingly. When I think of humble service, I think of our church, and it fires me up because I can say this and say, Jesus, thank you for saying this. Thank you for the scripture. These are the people that you have built your church around. These are the people that you have chosen to reach this community. These are the people that you will use to spread the gospel. When I think about humble service, I think about our church. I think about the workers in our kids' ministry, in our preschool, in our babies' ministry that volunteer every Sunday so that we can come in here, so we get an hour away from those little hellions, and we can learn about Jesus so that we can worship the King. Do you know there's some people back in kids' ministry and preschool and babies' ministry that have only gotten to come to worship once or twice since we've launched almost a year and a half ago? Do you know that they serve our kids every single Sunday with a smile on their face, never complaining once? That is blessed. That is joyful. I think of our setup and teardown teams who show up every Sunday morning at 7, who come in with tired, swollen faces, with coffee in hand, and start moving cafeteria tables out of the way. I think of the people who get here early. I think of the people who stay here late, who have conversations, who enjoy fellowship in Jesus after church. And then as soon as that conversation's over, they grab a chair and they put it up. I think of the people who have faithfully served on those teams since the day we started as a church, definitely over a year and a half ago. Most of them not even missing a Sunday. The smile on their faces. Think of everybody that served at Eggs and Pancakes yesterday a community event that we have dreamed of since we started again as a church. And every time it either got rescheduled, it got rained out, COVID happened. I mean, just everything trying to get in the way of our event, right? How dare it? But finally, yesterday, we get to love and serve our community. 40 to 50 people in our church stepped up to say, yeah, I'll humbly serve. I'll do it with a smile on my face. I will get low so that I can lift those who do not yet know Jesus up. I think of the families that follow God's call when he calls them elsewhere, and they leave all comfort behind. But it's a two-sided coin. I think of the families also that follow God's call to stay, to find contentment 
in Jesus over their circumstances that devote their lives to what's best for the kingdom instead of what is most convenient and what is best for them or what may be best for their bank accounts. I think of the families in our church where the husbands still date their wives. Something I have fallen short of and guilty of over and over. Husbands, I don't care if you've been married 30 years. I don't care if you got married last Saturday. Date your wives. Love the woman that God has entrusted you to. Do not let the fire go out. Pursue as Jesus has pursued you. I think about the spouses that pick up each other's responsibility without complaint. Joyfully. Your wife's really going to know you're loving Jesus if you respond with a smile on your face and say, absolutely, I'm on it. They're going to know that there's something different going on in your life. They're going to know the Holy Spirit's taking out that trash bag. I guess that could go for wives and husbands too. I just, you know, I just know I'm guilty. So I think of the moms that drive back and forth to school and they love their kids and they are present and they are patient with their kids on the road, at the store, back at the house. They patiently love their kids. I think of the homeschool moms that put so much into teaching their kids all day and then they got to turn right back around when school is over and they got to put all that energy right back in to momming. And you never get a single break. You are humbly loving and serving. I think of the dads and mom that work so tirelessly to make ends meet, to put food on the table, to provide a roof over their family's heads. I think about the dads that come home exhausted and they still get in the floor and play. They still sit at the table and they're present and they have that conversation with their children. And I think of the kids that listen to their parents. I think of the kids that even when they don't want to, they say, okay. And arguing, they do what they're asked. They don't ask why. They know that my parents love me out of their relationship with God, knowing that God loves them. And parents, let's do our best to love our children as the Father loves us, with truth, but with grace. When children are obedient, when it isn't a fight over every single thing, that is humble service to your parents. And then I think about the workplace. I think about all the different ways that we can serve, that we can love others, that we find ourselves in community with as we go to work, if you still go to work. If not, this falls back more on the household chores and everything like that. But, you know, we have a guy in our church that when the fridge at work gets too full, you know, when everybody brings their lunch and they forget they brought their lunch or they go out to eat instead because they just weren't feeling what they brought to work that day, and then it starts growing mold, and then all of a sudden you've got like this little bowl of noodles in there, and it's starting to grow like a baby Loch Ness monster out of it. I don't know if you guys have ever had a refrigerator in the workplace, but there is a point where that thing becomes its own biome, okay? It makes Louisiana look tame, all right? There's like baby alligators swimming around in the little drawers at the bottom. And without being asked, he lovingly serves and he cleans that fridge. I'm talking about filling up the printer with paper after your job used all the rest of it. So that the person that goes to the printer and looks for their job doesn't say, oh, it needs paper. They say, oh, somebody's already taken care of it. Or they don't notice at all. 
I'm talking about in the workplace, not thinking what you're asked to do is beneath you, but moving forward and doing it out of a heart of worship. I'm talking about not going above and beyond for recognition from others, but out of love and worship to Jesus. What we will see over and over in our lives is that the world will say happiness comes from exploiting others to elevate ourselves. But what God will say over and over in the scriptures is that joy comes from getting low and serving others and lifting them up. If you want to be qualified, if you want to be sent, you will serve others and you will do so joyfully. Close out with this, John 13, 6 through 11. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand. And we are back in verse 6. I told you we would get back to verse 6. I wasn't trying to cut that out of the Bible. What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, Not all of you are clean. Third and final point this morning. Jesus loved by washing. Jesus loved by washing. Verse 6 Peter said, you're about to wash my feet, Jesus? Absolutely not. I know who you are. I know that you're the Messiah. I know that you're the anointed one, the chosen one. I will not let you touch my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, stop ruining my illustrations. Can you just chill out for one second? This is getting to be pretty routine for you. Actually, what he says is, homeboy, you don't even know what I'm about to do here. You will know. You will understand soon. Very soon. But right now, you just need to sit down. Shut your mouth and give me those stinky feet. Peter, not just my feet, Jesus. Give me that whole rainfall shower right now. You will never wash me. Jesus says, I, if I don't watch you, I, you will have no share with me. Jesus, intense here. Well, why is Jesus getting intense here? Because Jesus is trying to make a point. You need to be washed by me. Not just your feet, but your sin. In the washing of Peter's feet, saying that he is already clean. Jesus is saying, you may be clean by me. Once I die on the cross for you and you receive the forgiveness of your sins, that is your once and for all. That is your overarching repentance. Your sin has been atoned for by my work on the cross, but that doesn't mean that you will live a perfect life. After that, Peter, you will still get dirty. You have showered. You have been forgiven by my work on the cross, but you are going to make some boneheaded mistakes, some bad choices, some sketchy decisions in your life after this, and you will need to continue to return to me. You may have showered, you may be clean, but your feet are dirty. Return to me in repentance, time after time after time again. And then, and then in verse 9, Peter says, then wash all of me. And Jesus says, if you've already showered, you're good. 
Peter, sit down, you overachiever. Just let me wash those nasty sandal feet. You've already given me your heart. You already view me as your Messiah. And when I die on the cross for you here soon, you will receive my righteousness. You are already cleaned. Not every single one of you are clean. Not every single one of you have seen me and experienced me and given your heart. Because there was Judas. And in verse 11, he knew that Judas would betray. So who is fit to be sent? Those that have been fully cleansed of their sin by Jesus. That have said, you are my Savior. You are the way to the Father. I am dirty. I am in need of forgiveness of the things that I have done against you and against other people. I need to be made new. I need to be made clean. I need to be restored. And we surrender everything before Jesus. We say, forgive me. That is the full cleansing. But then the washing of our feet, that's something that needs to happen daily. Some of you, that needs to happen every hour. Nobody in here, does that not need to happen every single day? Because whether we realize it or not, we are sinning against God. We are sinning against others. Unless you sleep all day, and then I guess that's being sloth, and that's a sin too. So we're really, we've got no chance. The only chance that we have is being cleaned by Jesus. So are we fit to be sent? Are we with Peter and the rest of the disciples? Or again, are we with Judas? Have we seen Jesus? Have we experienced Jesus? And have we believed in Jesus? Or have we withheld our hearts from Jesus? 